This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Maybe you are already a high performer, and this episode will also serve as a quick mental check-in for you. Or maybe you are reaching for high performance and stress is limiting your progress. Regardless, Dr. Cindy Scholes explores the secrets that can help you in your journey toward higher mental wellness and performance. In this episode, you will learn seven effective ways high performers relieve and manage stress. While some stress is manageable alone, all of us have hidden stress triggers that can cause our brains to work against us. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Cindy Scholes, PhD in neuroscience, University of California at San Francisco. Dr. Cindy is a neuroscientist who has dedicated her life to supporting people who want to make a difference in the world and honor the life they're called to live. She trained alongside Nobel Prize winners and is a certified medical hypnotherapist, Reiki master, business owner, and Les Brown-trained inspirational speaker and educator. She is the innovator and co-founder of R-Rest Incorporated and was featured in Wall Street Journal for her 20 years of helping thousands with neuro-emotional behavior modification to live better lives. She believes when you optimize brain function, your authentic self will be freed and empowered to lead a purposeful life. Meet Dr. Cindy at rrestacademy.com, mindwaveinstitute.com, and drcindyshoals.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Cindy Shoals. In your own words, who is Dr. Cindy Shoals? <laughs> I am a neuroscientist at heart, and I am so curious about human beings and the human condition. But more importantly, I am somebody who really wants to help people change their minds so they can have control over and change their life. It always makes me really sad when people feel like their emotions control them or their circumstances control them and or they don't feel like they have power in their lives to be able to live a purposeful and meaningful life. And so my passion is about helping people get rid of those limiting beliefs, those negative thoughts, those roadblocks, so people can lead a purposeful life that's full of the magic that is specific to them that they're creating. So that's who I am. I'm a neuroscientist that practices a little bit of magic. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? You That's a really good question. And I think that honestly, success needs to be determined on an individual basis. Like what is success for me is going to look so different to what success might be for you and for your neighbor and the person next door to them, right? Like it's 
success is something that I think is really individual. But success to me on a sort of in general basis means that you're creating a life that feels good and true to you, that is meaningful to you, that's fulfilling. So to me, success is really about fulfillment of the reason why you may be here on the planet. And when you feel that level of fulfillment, it's like obvious to you that there's success. And so that may look different for different kinds of people. And I wouldn't know what it might look like necessarily for somebody, but I think most people can kind of define it for themselves. And when it comes to the purpose of the human experience, what comes to mind, Cindy? You know, and I think, you know, I mentioned fulfillment, you said happiness, and I think that it's kind of like this combination of both. I I really feel like, and I don't know, like, Maybe this is magical thinking, but it occurs to me that we all have a purpose coming onto this planet, right? Like, and we may not know what that is, and it may not be like super defined, right? It might just be to fulfill, to have a fulfilling life, to connect Mm -hmm. with other human beings, to, you know, make a difference in one person's life. You know, it might be something simple like that. It might be just having a variety of experiences, so many different possible things that that could be. But I think that the purpose that fulfillment that we get a lot of times people think that it's about pleasure it can be a component of it and some people feel like it's about pursuit and that can be a component of it or drive those can all be components of it but they're not the most important piece and actually if you are in pursuit of pleasure it's a whole different neurochemical mm-hmm. pathway getting stimulated than if you are seeking or fulfilling happiness mm-hmm. and you kind of need a little bit of both you got to have the activation to like be pursuing something but you also have to make sure that when you have places where you get where you're going and you feel the fulfillment of that And that's why, you know, purpose can't just be drive. It has to also be feeling the result of the process of getting wherever it is that you're going. For me, what comes to mind, like uh, the message for me has been inner peace. It's a feeling of openness, really, expansion in the sense of being open to what is here, to what is present. That always gives me a sense of fulfillment for some reason. It's kind of abstract because sometimes it doesn't make sense when I'm going through challenges that by being open, then I get this feeling of meaning and fulfillment. It makes a lot of sense because when you're open to the experience and you're feeling accepting of what is it gives you space to find appreciation Mm. in the positive aspects of it because there's always no matter how bad things are there's always something positive right you know so when you can be open and accepting of the experience it gives you access to the positive aspects and appreciation from there and that is what increases those neurochemicals of of happiness and fulfillment Mm. and so that's why you have that like that's why being open to you makes so much sense to you because it really is truly making a difference. So the brain responds to that in a, in a positive way. What is your idea of spirituality and do you have any spiritual views and understandings, Cindy? Yes, absolutely. To me, spirituality, again, like it's so individual, but for me, 
it is about being connected to a whole and to a oneness. Mm. We talked earlier about like, you know, the brain and the heart, right? And when you can be connected in yourself, like you have an inner peace, an inner connection with the different parts of who you are and an acceptance of all of that, it gives you kind of access to connecting with a larger sense of the universe in a sense. We have, you know, the whole physiology, the brain and the heart, and we have the nervous system that connects them and all of that, right? Like three-dimensional physical, we have all of that. And then there's an energetic piece that gets developed kind of in the context of that that emanates from us. And that energy, we don't really know enough about like how connected that is, but it's connected, I think, at least my experience, it's connected like, you know, quantumly to other times, other places like space and time are just not an issue, which lets us as human beings be connected to energy in a way that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense in the sort of a logical, neurological sense, but I'm pretty sure we have inside our brains probably signal reception mechanism. We have a way to receive the signals that allow us to connect with the spiritual experience. Mm. Is that it's like there's a signal transducer. It transduces the signal. Our brains can experience it. And we have brain areas we know that are responsive to spiritual kinds of experiences. So I don't know if that helps you, but <laughs> a very sort of spiritual feeling about it, but also a somewhat biological feeling like I think it's just such a natural part of mm. us to have spirituality connect into our wholeness. Mm. And, you know, you hear all the time, like, yeah. we're spiritual beings having a human experience, right? right. I totally believe that. Mm. I completely believe that. And I think that we have the biology to have that human experience and that we're basically spiritual beings connecting with everything. So that's what spirituality means to me. Long answer to your short question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love to hear that, Cindy, because it resonates true to me. So in a way, we are wired biologically to our spirituality to yeah, connect I'm with it. How amazing. Yeah. yeah, and you can think of it like we are wired to let our soul come in and use our bodies for our soul purpose. Your physical body is the vehicle to manage your soul purpose right now in, the, in this time, you know? And like, isn't that great? Like, it is. I like, know. Like, and everybody has a different body, but oh, how wonderful it is that we each mm. have our own. And we were given the one that is designed for our soul purpose mm. in this moment regardless of whether you have a disability or you don't, mm. whatever it was that you have in your body, it was designed for you to meet your soul's purpose. And and that's why being like just present with and like accepting of what we have and what we haven't and where we are on our journey is where we have so much power. And letting your soul connect into that is what gives you power and clarity to move forward on whatever that soul purpose might be. And for me, it always translates into love, unconditional love. When, if we can use mm -hmm. words to describe what the soul's purpose would be, like from my experience has been unconditional love. And that's why maybe I talk a lot about being open, because then opens also that space of unconditional love and it flows better. Yeah, I energy. think that... Unconditional love is wonderful, bar to 
like uh, something to aspire to. I don't think it's easy for most of us to achieve because I think almost all of us have subconscious beliefs or drivers that are obstacles or really, frankly, conditions to love, to our receiving love, our giving of love, but mostly our receiving of love. Most of us have, you know, conditions we don't even know are there to our ability to receive love. It can be painful because that means that if you have conditions on your ability to receive love that you aren't even aware of, that means unconditional love doesn't feel possible for you. What comes to mind is trauma because most of us have been traumatized at some level. Yeah, and that yeah. blocks, right, Cindy? It sure does. And it blocks it because what it does is it puts conditions. It has us feel like we mm-hmm. are only lovable if right. we do something, we're useful, or if we're productive, or if somebody else judges us as lovable. And so those kinds of conditions that we have on our own feeling of lovable you know, we may not feel like we deserve it. And those kinds of things often come from traumas that maybe even adult wouldn't even see as a trauma, but a child, right? You know, like I was just talking with one of my clients the other day and, and like one of the root of their feeling of unconditional love, they can't have it because when they were a child, you know, two years old, their older brother took away the toy that was their lovey and wouldn't give back and they didn't get it back. And then they always felt like they don't deserve the love of whatever it is that they have as the object of their love attention. Right? So for them, it was somebody else has to be giving them permission kind of to be loved rather than just feeling like open to accepting. And so that's a trauma that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of as an adult as being a big trauma, but it still set up neural pathways that put conditions on love that block the soul from having what the soul's desiring. You know, and so bigger traumas, you know, traumas that we would look at and go, oh my God, that's something that would be traumatic for anyone, you know, abuse or neglect or something like that. Those kinds of traumas, they create a lot of neural pathways that will block us from feeling worthy, deserving, loved, and capable, and all kinds of things. And it's individual based on the person, the trauma, but those are neural pathways that the bad news is, is that they can have a long-term effect on your health as an adult, right? The good news is, is you can go back as an adult and change the past and process those things out so that you change the neural connections. You're actually reprogramming, rewiring the brain around those things that got sort of set up as stress habits, right? Like I'm going to protect myself from the future and I'm never going to let this happen again, right? Something terrible happens. What our brain does. It's like, what do we have to do to make sure this never happens again? What is the stress reaction pattern that we have to institute? What emotions do we have to have? And and so a two or three-year-old having the trauma is going to create all kinds of emotional armor and stress pattern armor. So they're protected from this never happening again. And then that becomes a habit when similar 
possibly less traumatic, possibly more traumatic things happen later. That pattern that got created from that original event, it keeps getting regenerated or reinforced, brought back up and getting stronger and stronger as somebody grows up. It's all completely subconscious in the background, like you don't even know you're doing it because it's a both a mental and a physical habit of stress. You don't even know it's happening necessarily. And then patterns start getting developed in relationships. And then that two or three-year-old stress response or two or three-year-old reaction to a trauma isn't always effective or useful for an adult because an adult is so much more resourced and has completely different environment, but yet we still use it. So you still see people getting triggered into what worked for them maybe at two, like a tantrum might help you get what you want at two, but it's not going to be effective when you're, or it might be effective, but not long-term if you're an adult. Uh, um, some of us do might use that, right, as a technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some people do, and it short, can be a short-term, yes, <laughs> short-term strategy. Oh, right, oh my God. Maybe yeah. there are it is a long-term strategy and keep getting away with it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't lead to that place of peace, of calm. That's for sure. No, it takes you further away from your soul's desire, your purpose. That is for sure. And it really is a biological barrier that can be changed. It was created in your biology. It's stored in your biology. And your biology is magical because it has the ability to adapt and change. But you have to have the right tools to get in there and know how to get it to adapt and change. Once it's kind of like embedded in your biology, you have to know how to change it. And that's something that I've been working on pretty much my whole life. And that's we've developed tools that help that you change that biology. We'll be talking about the um, seven secrets high performers use to manage stress. That's one. But you also have a meditation tool that we talked today off record about. I would love to hear about that, Sandy. So I guess the question is about burnout. I think I asked that before to someone, I don't remember who, the difference between stress and burnout So what is burnout and how is it different from stress? Yeah, you know, burnout is actually kind of a result of stress. Stress is really, first of all, it's a physiological reaction to our body minds perceiving a threat. So it's a physiological Mm -hmm. reaction intended to be short term so that, you know, when we're getting chased by a tiger, we can, you know, run away or hide or whatever it is in order not to be killed. (laughs) Like it's really... And then as soon as you're safe from the time, it goes away. Unfortunately, in our society, we get triggered over and over again on a daily basis, like sometimes all day long about things in our environment that our body minds perceive as stress. So we get this stress response that's designed to help us fight or flee or you know, freeze or even faint, like play dead, right? Like get a stress response kind of running in the background a lot, you know, like reading emails, social media, like, am I good? And like all kinds of things, you know, a thought can cause it, you know, seeing something. So, so, so in, in other words, stress is just an accumulation of the body mind perceiving a threat. And 
burnout occurs when there is so much stress that it leads to exhaustion. It leads to cynicism. It leads to this feeling of ineffectiveness, no purpose, like no meaning in what I'm doing. The underlying cause of burnout is stress. And I think it's particular types of stress because usually we talk about burnout as burnout in the mar- in the workplace, like you're around your occupation. Of course, if you're a parent, you can burn out about being a parent too. Like whatever it is, it's occupying day. If you're in a relationship that's really toxic, you can feel burnout in that relationship. But whatever's requiring your like focused attention, if you have certain types of stress patterns around that that are ongoing over time, you can get burnout. And so that's the difference. That makes a lot of sense to me. So it's the ongoing activation of stress or being stressed for too long. It doesn't work. You know, we can get these stress reactions. There's like kind of three major causes of burnout, it occurs to me, or maybe four. And some of them are externally driven. Like, for example, we kind of have a burnout culture. We have a work ethic in our culture that more is better. Sort of like the harder you work, the better. And so those kinds of ways that we think about how work should be, Like there's no substitute for hard work. Like no matter how hard you work, someone else is working harder. Like that, the kinds of things that drive us to high performance and high productivity in that, in our work ethic, those cultural ideas can create a bunch of sort of limiting beliefs and perfectionistic success strategies that drive us beyond what we should be driven. Mm, yeah. And if that's coupled with some internal beliefs because of, you know, adverse childhood experiences and things of unworthiness, things like I'm only worthy of love if I'm useful or I'm only worthy of being paid if I'm productive or I'm well, if I work more hours, you know, like those kinds of things. Also, like if I'm emotional and that, you know, emotions are for the weak, right? So you have things that are constant stress and then a drive to not take care of yourself. So that's another piece is it's like you work, work, work. I don't have time to take care of myself. I feel guilty if I'm being happy and I haven't successful at whatever that job is or whatever. And then you make the, because you're making the job more important than you're making your own self-care. And then if you don't have control or autonomy in your job, that's the last thing. Like that's the, another external one. If you don't have respect, if you don't have control, if externally you're being punished for mistakes or your humanity, <laughs> your need for a break, your need for rest or whatever that is, if you don't have autonomy me over your own time and control over that, then that can also be a huge driver to burnout. So those are the different kind of drivers that I I see, at least for the clients that come to me, that's what they're grappling with. And most of them boil down to limiting beliefs that people have that are coming from their childhood And they don't even know that the limiting belief is there. And they don't even know, they have no idea how they could become 
from the childhood. And that's the work that I do. It's like I can help people identify the limiting belief. And better than that, some people think awareness is enough. Oh, I know what that limiting belief is. I don't have to have it anymore. Honestly, awareness isn't This is coming from your subconscious mind. And your subconscious is what's like seeing this as a threat. You don't even always know that it's happening. And even when you do know it's happening, your subconscious already acted on it before you're even aware of it's happening. And so you really have to get into the root of that pattern that's getting triggered in the subconscious and rewire it from there, like pull it out by the root, plant something new in that space. You know, you really have to change the way the brain and the mind is operating. Because it's it's not just the brain, it's a connection with the heart, but you got to change that. And that's what, that's what I do with a technique called rest. It's spelled a double R. So R, R, rest. That's right. Thank you. It is not the kind of rest that is sleeping. It is the rest with two R's, and it stands for rapid reprogramming of emotional stress technique. Rest really gets into that root. It finds the original event that created the stress reaction pattern, that created the emotional armor, and it removes it and neutralizes it. And we can also, our rest coaches are also really skilled at helping you plant new, more effective, positive seeds in that space. It's like there's, once the weed has been removed, that's been choking out good growth, right? Like the stress pattern is like a weed. Once that's been removed, then you can tend the soil and plant something new in that space. And, and so I invite my clients to Work with me to be the master gardeners of their mind. Beautifully said. <laughs> I love that uh, analogy. This uh, nature and humans, we are not separate from nature. So I love the way you say that. This might be a good moment to talk about the meditation, Sandy. Please, yeah, talk to me about that. Absolutely. So, you know, when I was talking about burnout and the limiting beliefs that we have about our worthiness being based on productivity or our worthiness being based on how useful we are or how capable we are, if we're good enough or not, like all of that. And one of the tools that we have to offer you that are listening is there's we have a meditation that can help you eliminate some of those negative self-talks and limiting beliefs so that they're not right at the surface. It's not as effective as rest. It's not going to clear out, but for a short-term thing, it really does help. So the meditation is a Ho'oponopono meditation. It's very powerful. I can give you a link to it. It's only a few minutes of video to learn about what the meditation is. And you can download the meditation and listening to that will really make a difference in just calming your brain down so that the negative self-talk isn't what's right at the surface. Um, and it will help you possibly even notice what some of the limiting beliefs might be, but also tone them down a little bit so that they're not getting in your way nearly as much as they might be currently. So it's really for those people who know that there's something going on and they'd like to have a little bit more support to have their brains be in a more positive state. So I would love for you to um, disclose some of those secrets in the ebook. So you have the seven secrets. 
I'm not sure if we can go through all of them because of the time, but maybe we should. So the first one is achieve balance. I would love to hear more about that, Cindy. Having balance is always going to be a little bit elusive, but it's really important to recognize that you have needs, internal needs. We all have internal needs. And some of our needs might feel on the and conflicting depending on, you know, like we all have a need to do. Well, I shouldn't say we all have, but often we'll have a need to do a good job, right? This is for high performers. Most people who are high performers really feel a need to excel at whatever it is that they're doing, right? But you can't have excellence if you don't also meet some of the other needs that that you have in your life, such as connecting with your loved ones, connecting with yourself, doing self-care. And so part of the point about achieving balance is really just taking a moment to reflect on all of the needs you have as a whole human being and asking yourself, you know, am I meeting the needs right now that I have? And if not, am I doing anything to address the ones that aren't being met? And what would be the best resource for me to be able to address this need? What most people do is, is they put an over-focus on one or another of their needs and let some of the others go kind of fallow and like they don't give them enough attention and then we get out of balance. And so I think balance is about finding your needs and beginning to really be honest with yourself about what they are and what you can do to create more balance to fulfill all of the needs you have as a whole person. So it's really about being a whole person and recognizing what that is. I'm not going to mention the the two and the three, so we leave some curiosity there. But I love the fourth secret, practice empathy. The place to start practicing empathy is with yourself. You know, a lot of us, and I think especially women, we have the ability to connect and be empathetic with other people and almost to a fall, like where, you know, somebody else's pain can like pull us into pain. And obviously that isn't going to help anyone for you. If they're feeling pain for you to also feel pain. And then if that their pain is and for it also to stop you, you know, like that doesn't actually serve them or you honestly. So empathy isn't, what we mean by that but what we do mean is is having compassion like ability to perceive someone else's discomfort and having compassion for it but also the ability to perceive your own and having compassion for your own yeah that sounds wonderful to me it's so important because we can have empathy for somebody else and we can have compassion for somebody else. But what I know just from my clients and also I have struggled with this myself is having empathy and compassion for myself so that I am open to loving myself is the key for me to having filling my own cup really to have something to, that flows over for me to be supporting other people or flows over for me to be able to be more successful or be a higher performer in whatever that area is that I've chosen. And it sounds very much like common sense, right, Cindy, that we would give love to ourselves first, but it it often doesn't happen. Right. And I think the place where it's often blocked is this place in having self-compassion and 
practicing empathy first with yourself with compassion and then it gives you access to that for some other people as well. The other one that I love is six, embrace imperfections. That also resonates very much. Yes, I know. And they go so well together too, right? Because if you're going to have empathy and compassion for yourself and or for others, the first thing you have to do is be willing to embrace that you're human. And human beings are naturally imperfect. And it is so often those imperfections that as we face them and we work with them become our strengths. And they also create us to be unique. And I think that's so important because you are one in, I don't know, the the possibilities of your existence are astronomically low. Like, it's amazing that your unique humanness yeah. is here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And your unique humanness, there is no perfection is boring. It's like, it's all of it. It's like the good, the bad, the ugly, the you know, loving, like the entire thing is what makes you you. And it's so special. So you want to embrace that because that uniqueness is what allows you to be able to carry out that soul purpose that you may have, whatever that is to be on your soul path. Part of it has to do with whatever imperfections you might perceive, whatever challenges there might be. And so embracing that is incredibly important for so many reasons. Yeah, I love the way you said that, the connection between the practice of empathy, self-love, and embracing imperfections. Yeah, that has been my experience. By embracing imperfections, accepting them, then I became more loving with myself and others. Absolutely. And recognizing that imperfections, you know, I don't even know what that really means really, but for most people, that probably means our mistakes and our failures and things like that. And I think that's, if you don't like make mistakes, if you don't fail, then you can't learn and you can't grow. So that's also a really important piece of imperfections because it's the imperfection that allows you to grow and learn is facing that and moving forward anyway, A lot of times we try to escape them, to hide them. Then we feel ashamed about the imperfections. In my case, I can think about one clearly, and that is boundaries. I'm not good with boundaries. Say no to others. Mm -hmm. I have been perceiving that for a long time as an imperfection, not being strong enough to say no. But I'm curious, you know, like... You know, imperfections to me often are the armor that we have. Mm, Yeah. You know, how Mm, we talked about, you know, we have these threats that were perceived in the world. It creates these patterns that become our armor, that protect us, they protect our heart. They're biological more than they are part of our soul. But I think a lot Mm. of times our imperfections are just the armor that we've got that we're carrying. And often it's heavy and it makes us feel less flexible and makes us feel more fragile inside, you know, like we need this protection or something. But, and I, and I don't know, but I'm curious if, you know, your challenge was saying no, what that has to do with for you. Are you looking for more armor or is there something there that's not letting you access what's really 
in your true best interest in a way. You know what I mean? Yes, I have, I suspect, and it seems like uh, I'm getting closer to it, that has something to do with my childhood traumas there, of course, and my mother being very emotionally disconnected and distant, and I was always trying to please her in every way. And I would do anything to say yes to her so she could feel happy and then I would feel loved. So there's a condition maybe you have on receiving love that might be about pleasing somebody else or making somebody else happy. If they're happy, I am worthy of love or I can receive love. Maybe if I say yes, that will make them happy. Yeah, is that what you think yeah, is going on? Yeah, that makes so much sense. I yes, can be it, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, if you were my client, like one of the things we would do is we would actually use a rest process to find out like, okay, what specifically is causing you stress? We're pretty clear. It probably is this idea that you aren't going to please them or that they won't love you or something. I would bet it boils down. That's the reason why it's hard for you to say no. And then we would identify what is that original event that set that up in the first place? It may be something you remember, but most likely it's not. Most likely it's embedded in subconscious and in your body and you don't have conscious awareness of it at all and that's one of the things that rest is really good at is finding those things that is in we call it an implicit memory is what it's called in neuroscience but memories that you don't actually remember but are just stored in your body the cellular memories and we can access those cellular memories and help shift it so that it would make it easier for you to say no when it's appropriate for you without feeling like you're going to hurt their feelings or you're going to not please that displease them or be unlovable if you say no or whatever the current concern is. Anyway, I mean, you're a rest session right now, yeah. but I just... Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I can't help myself almost. I am so curious about how people are wired, you know, because, you know, I've had to figure it out for myself too because I've had my own things like that, that, you know, doing things because I'm concerned about... For me, it was about people leaving me, you know, like if I don't do this, then uh, they'll leave me. If I'm not useful, then they'll leave me. And it's similar to the not lovable, but it's a little bit more specific. But yeah, there it is. So there's a window for the being able to hold the boundaries and, and say no when you mean no, you know. And you're right. You said earlier, being aware of it, it's not enough because I'm very much aware of it. But it doesn't really stop me, right, for the response, right? Yeah, and even if you got insights in our conversation, which you know they may be new to you, maybe not, you know, like they may be just new to other people that are listening. You may have already known, felt these insights. Like it isn't always enough, you know. You really need that subconscious to get reprogrammed. And that isn't going to happen by just having your conscious mind have an understanding of it. It feels good to have your conscious mind have an understanding of it, but it doesn't really change the that's going on there because that in your nervous system, in your brain, that wiring, the pattern that is kind of causing you to feel like you need to please whoever it is, like it's not your mother anymore, it's whoever you're saying yes to, which you'd rather say no to, right? So whatever that is, that wiring that's in your brain that drives you into that, 
the wiring itself is not in your conscious mind. It's in your parahippocampus, your amygdala, like your limbic system, basically your limbic system. And it's not connected to your logical conscious mind, which is your prefrontal cortex. And we know that the like the work with rest, that is rest with two R's, when we do that processing and we really address the root and do the neuroemotional processing of that, it connects that pattern that's stored in your limbic system into your prefrontal cortex, into your conscious mind. And it really does change the way in which your whole physiology responds around that, whatever it is. And for you, it would be something like, you know, whether or not somebody is pleased or not pleased with you or disappointed or disappointed, you know. Yeah, it sounds really wonderful to me, Sandy. And it makes a lot of sense, of course. I've never done anything like that. I know you offer a discovery, free discovery session for those listening. So that's always helps. And then the person will decide to go deeper into it, which is very much. I might do that. Participate in and get a discovery session and and you'll get a little more window and access into understanding just from the discovery session. And then you can see if, you know, a rest session to really clear that piece out would be something that would be useful to you. I think you'd feel really great. The thing that's so interesting is, is once that your nervous system's done this rewiring, you know, through the rest with two hours process, you just feel so much freer mm. and so much more at ease. And yeah. like you have more control because it's just easy for you to, it'll just be so much easier for you to make the decision of yes or no, or, you know, give me a minute to see if that makes sense in my world, right? Like whatever it is, you know. I do say no. That's, um, I have learned that. Thank God. I have learned that. But then the feeling of almost guilt about saying no, that feeling still lingering. It still lingers. But I do say no, though. Yeah. But the feeling's still there. If the guilt were gone, wouldn't that be great? Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Give you freedom from that. It would be so nice. Then it just takes so much less emotional energy to do what you know is right. Right. Yes, Sandy. And that's that's what it's about. It's like we spend this emotional energy, right? We've got all this emotional energy being caught up in these stress responses. And, you know, if you could clear that emotional, you know, get rid of those stress responses so you don't have all this emotional energy you have to overcome in order to do what's right for you or to be on your soul. Like, oh, it's just so freeing. It's so relieving. I do a lot of spiritual work and practices, meditation being one of them, which calms everything down um, pretty fast after something happens. But it will be really amazing, right, to not have those feelings, feeling guilt about being true to myself and not feeling guilt about it. Yes. Wouldn't that feel great? Yes, that's what we do at rest as we help you get that. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds wonderful. For today, I really thank you again for that, for those suggestions and for opening almost a space for that invitation that I actually don't think I talk to so many healers and therapists and so many amazing people, but I don't feel like doing something about these things. And today I did feel, it feels like almost as a calling. So I'll look into it deeper, Cindy. Thank you for that. Yeah. 
Let's do. And, you know, if you want to connect directly with me, please do that as well. Because when you feel a calling, I just say this to you and to everybody, and you know this to be true too, follow those callings. Don't ignore them. Don't push them aside. That's your soul telling you, I have a direction I want to go. You really want to listen. I, I That's how I got here. And I feel like I'm totally doing my sole purpose work and I would never turn it back and do anything other than this now that I know how to hear my soul calling. So I oh, relish in those soul callings. So anyway, thank you. Love the way you connect to the soul's calling with this sense of inner peace and living true to ourselves. That everything's connected anyway, but it it's wonderful the way you connect all those both worlds, the external and the internal world. Um, so I have those, we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you. What, I have technical one and I have another question, the ending question. So, but before that, Cindy, would you like to add anything else that we didn't discuss today? You know, nothing that I can think of specifically. I feel like, you know, if people understand, like I think you get it. And if everybody gets like that, Burnout is because of our biology and the stress that is perceived subconsciously. You can, anybody can turn that around. You just have to have the right support to be able to do that. And when you turn around burnout, then you have more access to the soul's calling, to your soul's purpose, and to living a life that is really the one that you've been called into living and that's fulfilling for you. Ah, it's amazing how some of us are not open to do the healing work, to go, to continue with the healing work or be receptive to these deeper ways of looking into ourselves, which is the subconscious. That's a, a big one. So I love that your work has to do with that. I do talk to a lot of hypnotherapists too. And they do that work. How interesting, how it has been a calling for me for a long time. So now it's speaking stronger. And I thank you for bringing this up again. How fascinating to hear. I was just going to say that, you know, you speak to a lot of hypnotherapists. I didn't mention this, but I'm a neuroscientist and a hypnotherapist. And so part of the rest with to our work comes a little bit from hypnotherapy, partly because hypnotherapy mm -hmm. is good at accessing the subconscious, but it's a little bit magical. There's a lot more to it than just hypnotherapy to the rest process. So it's almost covering different aspects of going deeper into the subconscious. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I have that here on your profile, the intro. It says that, that you are also a trained hypnotherapist, certified medical hypnotherapist. Thank you again, Cindy. And my last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? To really feel loved and to really feel love for another person. I think you mentioned that too, like this deep connection that we can have in love and unconditional love. So to really feel that, I think, is one of the things that I wish for everyone. And I also wish for everyone before you leave a body to feel like your life was on purpose so that you're leaving with no regrets, you know, like that you really identify the purpose and that you see meaning in the life that you've just lived either for yourself or somebody else or something. So that's, and then, and then I guess maybe number three is no regrets, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. that you look back on your life and you're like, see the, 
even in the things that you feel like, oh my God, you know, I wish I had, or I wish I hadn't, you know, like that's what regrets are. But looking at that, I didn't, therefore this positive thing happened, or I did, therefore this other thing happened. Like, for example, you know, I got a divorce from my ex-husband, but that allowed me to meet the husband I currently have and have my children. Like, so at the time I got a divorce, it was like, felt like terrible grief, right? But it opened another door. So when there's a tragedy, there's another door that opens. When there's a door that you don't step through, there's no regrets if you step through a different door, right? If it just gives you an opportunity to step through a different door because now you're in a different place. And that's what I think it means to have no regrets is to just be able to look back and go, okay, well, that door closed before I stepped through it, but there was another door that opened that I did step through or something like that. And just know that whatever your path was that you took was the right path for this lifetime. Thank you so much, Sandy, for everything uh, that you share. It feels true to me. And I love the idea that we can help ourselves and others at the same time. And you're doing that. Thank you so much for sharing wisdom. It's just been my pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And my last technical question is about where to find information about you, your work and services and products, uh, future projects. What's the best way, the best place? Absolutely. The best way, it's really simple. It's rest.com. That's rest with two R's, R-R-E-S-T.com. And that website will give you a lot more information about the technique and about me and all that we have to offer through that. And then we also teach coaches the rest technique. And if you are a coach listening to this and you're feeling like you're getting a calling, like, oh my gosh, like not only do I want this for myself, but I want to be able to give this to my clients. And you'll know who you are. Um, (laughs) If this is calling to you, then I recommend going to Rest Academy. That's Rest again with two R's, R-R-E-S-T, academy.com. And you'll see the coaching training that we have available there. And that, our next program starts in September. Download the free meditation, download the free ebook, and it'll put you on our mailing list, which you'll get our newsletter. And there's all kinds of good content and presentations that would be available to you through that as well. So if you're interested in digging deeper into this, there's a lot of resources for you. I'll have the links on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, Cindy. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Cindy Scholes and her work, please visit ourrestacademy.com, mindwaveinstitute.com, and drcindyscholes.com. Cindy is also offering a free downloadable meditation for increasing your self-worth. Find it at ourrest.com backslash self-worth. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.